Great to be here this morning on this momentous morning, at least in the United States. Can't say it's, I I feel it's um, maybe not a particularly good morning to be a U.S. citizen, I don't know. I was actually, um, my parents actually moved from Owen Sound, Ontario to Chicago two months before I was born. And then they moved to uh, Hamilton, Ontario, where I spent most of my childhood growing up in early high school. And so when people uh, ask me if I was born in Canada, I go, no, wasn't born in Canada, but I'm pretty sure I was conceived in Canada. (laughs) I probably, uh, I probably would be preaching the same thing this morning if Hillary had got elected uh, or, or Donald Trump. It may have been, it, it maybe is a little less obvious, but no less true, um, that we are probably, uh, it's not probably since the 60s, or maybe even since the rise of Hitler in Germany, that it has become this important in the United States for the church of Jesus Christ to discern what it might mean to say Jesus is Lord. Now I know, I actually have been so surprised at how many Canadians are uh, struggling or worried or concerned or spending a lot of time thinking about what's going on down south of the border. But I think the whole thing helps us understand what it means to say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. His authority reigns over the whole earth. So to help us answer this question, I draw our attention to this text that was just read. The 70 disciples have been sent by Jesus into the villages and now they are returning. And they're meeting again in the presence of Jesus and they report on what they have just seen and heard with great joy, with exuberance, with celebration. And they say, Lord, in your name, under your authority, even the demons submit to us. And then Jesus responds by saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When you were out there, I saw Satan fall from heaven, the seat of authority, like lightning. I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. The experience of these disciples, I must say, seems a bit removed from the experience when I walk into church on Sunday morning on an average gathering. It seems to be a little bit removed from the experience maybe uh, we are experiencing in the neighborhoods or the suburbs of Toronto or, or where we gather at, for church Sunday morning to be in his presence just like the disciples were. But few of us I suspect, are coming to church on Sunday morning saying things like this. Few of us are 
are saying, hey, we just saw demons cast out in the neighborhood. We saw people healed in the neighborhood. We saw, hey, you won't believe what happened this week in the neighborhood. That divorce on the block, that custody battle that was tearing apart our one family, you won't believe what happened. Reconciliation. You won't believe what happened this past week in the neighborhood. Some racist laws against Latino populations were overturned in my neighborhood. That's a particular issue in my neighborhood where I live. We don't expect such things when we return to church on Sunday mornings from the neighborhoods. As students of Tyndale, what do you expect to hear? when you come back to church on Sunday morning. As you're put out there on mission projects or at work in the neighborhoods or when you visit your own home or you just come back to here, what do you expect to hear when you're gathering? Do we expect to hear, I saw Satan fall like lightning? How do we expect the um, authority and reign of Jesus Christ to take shape in our lives and in our neighborhoods and in our relationships? What do you imagine the authority of the risen Lord looks like where you live? It all reminds me of this movie from the 1990s, which means most of you didn't see it, called Pleasantville. Movie is a little racy. It's a little, the theology of it's a little screwed up. I don't recommend it, actually. I don't recommend this movie, but I love this movie. (laughs) And, And let me tell you why. It's about this teenager, Dave, my name. And he loves this sitcom about this idealistic, always pleasant 1950s kind of town called Pleasantville. And the sitcom is filmed entirely in black and white to, to symbolize the bland niceness of Pleasantville. In Pleasantville, parents are always nice. Teenagers are perfect. They never get in any trouble. The town politicians actually care about the citizens. The lawyers have no lawsuits. It never rains in Pleasantville. And everybody walks around with this kind of perpetual nice smile on their face. Because people always do the nice thing in Pleasantville. One evening, the very quiet, reclusive David is watching TV with his rebellious sister Jennifer and they're fighting over the TV and um, David wants to watch another episode of Pleasantville and Jennifer is having nothing of it. So they're fighting over the TV and through a series of events, there's this magic TV wand and they actually get transported into the sitcom Pleasantville. And so they're finding themselves in this new place where everything is so nice and they discover what it's like to learn, to live In this town, they learn no one actually knows of anything else besides this town in the town of Pleasantville. No one wants to question anything. Just keep it going. 
Keep everything nice and in order. Don't disrupt anything. But of course, Jennifer, she's a rebel. And, and she challenges everything. She breaks the rules. She challenges the niceness protocols. People get upset. People get in touch with their feelings. Some people get angry. People do some things they should not be doing. And it's almost as if there's an awakening in town to a whole new level of life. Things begin to change from black and white to color. And this spreads throughout the whole town. And so slowly the whole town starts changing from black and white to color. And there's this great sense of new life. And so there's this scene where Joan Allen is seeing a stained glass window, much like is in this room right now, for the very first time in full color. And she can't take her eyes off of it. And there's this, and David takes this art history book to this guy, uh, his name's Mr. Johnson at a soda counter, a guy who always wanted to be an artist. And he's looking through all these pictures, these paintings, and he's seeing them for the first time in full color. And he's going, oh no, this is amazing, but I can never, I'm never going to see colors like this again. I'm never going to be able to paint a picture like this. And, And David says something like, oh, You're just starting. But Mr. Johnson says, no, there's not even any colors like this in the world I live in. I can't even imagine this being possible. I can't even imagine this being possible in the world I live in. Are there things that you cannot imagine are even possible in the world you live in? I love this image of niceness, of Pleasantville being upset. The routine niceness and colorlessness of the world being upset because somehow, I fear Christianity has become the living of the nice thing, of doing the nice, well-managed, controlled thing, whereas it's supposed to be this bursting forth of color and new life and flourishing of the kingdom. We have somehow lost the sense that Satan is fallen wherever we open up space for his kingdom. We have a great Sunday morning service, you know. We preach and we teach and we have great music. And by the way, I do love the music, especially this morning. Thank you all very much. It was great. But one of the highlights for us preachers is uh, when someone says, Oh, I so enjoyed your sermon this morning. Thank you very much. Hmm. The word of God is a living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. Just once I'd like to hear somebody say, God used your sermon to destroy my life, pastor. Thanks a lot. The kingdom disrupts. The kingdom brings new life. 
The kingdom is not always about doing the nice thing. It seems like we've gotten into the bad habit of doing the nice thing. When someone gets sick, we gather around and pray, and and I've been sick, and I've had people pray for me, but sometimes I wonder, hey, are you just doing the nice thing right now? Or do you believe Jesus is Lord right now and something's going to happen here? Because I need to know. I'm sick. You know what I'm talking about this morning? It seems like we've gotten into the habit of doing the nice thing. And in the midst of this experience of the Christian life, we are faced with this picture of Jesus as Lord. Receiving the 70 back from their missionary journeys, and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When you disciples were in those homes eating, sharing food, bringing peace, proclaiming hope in the gospel, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When you prayed for that broken marriage, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When you prayed for the victim of abuse and you proclaimed the gospel, the good news of the forgiveness of sins to those who are broken. You brought prayer, you brought reconciliation. I saw Satan fall like lightning. We are here to disrupt. We are here to bring color black back into the city. So here in Luke chapter 10, we discover that he sends us out, everyone here today, who claims Jesus is Lord, he sends us out under his inbreaking authority and transforming power. If you can agree with me on that, let's hear an amen. He sends us out under his transforming power. He sends us out under his inbreaking authority. In in verse 19, Jesus says, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. And so let us be clear here this morning, there is an authority that goes out with us who are being sent in his name. Sentness from the Father through the Son by the Spirit extends the authority of the risen Lord. If you can agree with that, say amen. Christ sends us out under his inbreaking authority and his transforming power. I believe there are two things that keep us from living under this authority and power. Two problems that plague us. One problem is control. We do not see God's kingdom breaking into our lives because we are managing it too closely. We are trying to control it. We think we know what God's doing. We think we know what it's supposed to look like. We are trying to take control. And yet when the disciples come back, they make very sure to make note that, Lord, in your name, under your authority, the demons submit to us. These victories are coming 
under your reign, your rule, your dominion, your operations, your work. I am just a participant. I cannot control it. Only as I submit to Jesus as Lord and lead others to do the same will his authority break in. And it really doesn't matter who's elected as the president of the United States. If you can say amen to that, say amen. There are some Baptists here this morning, I know it. We have a baseball announcer in Chicago for the Chicago White Sox named Hawk Harrelson. Whenever uh, there's a strikeout by the opposing team and it's our pitcher doing it, he'll say, he gone, he gone. Whenever we try to control God, whenever we try to manage him, whenever we try to say, oh, it's going to look like this and I know what to do here, he gone. Christ sends us out under his inbreaking authority and transforming power and we just have to submit to him and let it go. What are you trying to control this morning in your life, in your neighborhood, in your church? What are you trying to control or manage so carefully to do the nice thing? Whenever we try to control God, he gone. He will not coerce. He will not be violent. He just won't cooperate. It's God who must be God in our lives. The second problem is our own effort. Whenever we think ministry in the neighborhood, in our places of work, is up to us. It's up to me to do it. I've got to do it. In the words of Hawk Harrelson, when an opposing batter strikes out, he gone. This is why I believe Jesus said to the 70 disciples, don't rejoice in these things. Don't get so excited over yourself. I mean, I'm happy for you. But instead, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life in heaven. In heaven, that seat of authority where God reigns. What Jesus is telling us today is don't focus on the outcomes. Don't focus on what you're doing. Rejoice instead that you get to participate in what God's doing and let him do it. Um, I confess. I used to be scared of people without homes. I think I felt the burden that I was responsible to solve everybody's problems. That's how I was seeing it. I've got, every, I've got the solutions to everybody's problems. I'm going to come here and, oh, it's all on me to solve your problems. In the last decade or so, I've gotten to know many, many people without homes, and I've learned that's just not the way it works. There's a whole new world out there beyond the black and white of doing the nice thing, and there's a kingdom breaking in. Some of my best friends that are without homes. I met at a McDonald's and I used to hang out in the mornings for two, three hours, grading papers, catching up on research, catching up on work communications. And so I would get to know my friends who are without homes. And one of them came in and said, he came in and sat down and half his face was swollen, twice as 
large is the other side, impacted tooth, infection. I go, oh boy, this is going to cost me $1,000. I mean, I'm just a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. We don't make much money. How am I going to afford this, Lord? It's kind of like, by the way, what the disciples said to Jesus when he said, you give them something to eat at the feeding of the 5,000. I had no faith. I, uh, gave the, I gave Steve the number of my dentist. Steve lived in a, in a large white van. I said, if there's any problem with the bill, just you know my number, have him call me, we'll take care of the bill. What I meant is the church will take care of the bill. We have a missions fund, you know. He did it. The dentist called. I said, of course, we'll take care of the bill. Steve got his teeth fixed. The dentist never called. Four weeks later, Steve says to me uh, something like... Uh, Dave, thanks so much for, for taking care of the dentist and, and taking care of everything and getting my teeth fixed. And I go, Steve, I didn't do anything. I was just 10 minutes in the middle of what God was doing. I never got a bill. That was the kingdom. Folks, if we just get over ourselves and participate in what God's doing, we'd find, I think I tallied uh, that one year how much being with people without homes cost me. It was $243.82 or something like that. Uh, my, my two pet birds cost more. God did everything. Can I say that God has not put people into our lives so that we can solve their problems, heal them? Instead, God puts us together so that we can be healed with people being healed. We just have to cooperate. This is not about your effort. And if you're tight about money, just relax. Uh, Loosen up a little bit and just watch what God does with the little bit you have. And so um, it's great to be here in Tyndale on this morning when we're worried about a lot of things. I might be a little bit more worried than you. But I proclaim the gospel over this place. I proclaim Christ reigns over this whole world. I proclaim he reigns over your life. And all the circumstances around you, all the people who are hurting, all the systems that are corrupt, he sends us out of here this morning under his inbreaking power and transforming authority. Will you give up doing the managed, controlled, nice thing and submit to his reign and rule around you? Over this place, Tyndale University College, we proclaim Christ is sending us all out today under his inbreaking authority, his transforming power. Allow me just to... uh, close in a prayer of sending and a blessing on you all. Lord, I just praise you as we've heard this morning in song that you are Lord of our lives and Lord of the nations. And we pray, Lord, now that we will open, that you by your spirit will open our imaginations to what you're doing in our lives, around our lives, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in this place, Tyndale University College Seminary. We pray a blessing and ascending. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior for his kingdom. Amen.